This is the second part of the audio reading of Our Lady Condemns Masonry. This is on the prophecies of Our Lady of Good Success, an approved church apparition that predicted the current devastation of the church through heresy within, uh, among other evils. I will put the link to the full book in the description field. Uh, you can download it for free in English, Spanish, French, and Italian. And now we'll continue with part two. She spoke with her spiritual director, Friar Juan of the Mother of God, and then with the Bishop of Quito, who committed himself to have the keys of the convent made up, while the crown was offered by the chapter of the cathedral. The sculptor, Francisco del Castillo, called to the convent two days later, considered himself fortunate to make such work, and accepted the commitment. He left Quito immediately to find a special wood for the statue. At the end of August, he came back to the convent and started his work on September 15th. As he sculpted the holy statue, the sculptor seemed a man transformed, and he was often found working with tears streaming from his eyes. The bishop visited the work from time to time, and always he would leave quite moved. At the end of September, Mother Mariana called him the Marquesa Maria de Yolanda, who took the assignment of having the gold crozier made in Spain by her family. Known then of the measurement of the height of Our Lady of Good Success with the cord of the abbess, the Marquesa asked the favor to see it. Received it in her hands and just given it back, her left arm, inert since days as a consequence of a severe fall, was suddenly cured. On January 16th, the fervent religious arose in the morning to pray the little office, as was the custom. As they drew near the choir, they heard distant refrains of melodious music. They hurried their steps to the upper choir, and there, wonder of wonders, they saw the whole choir enveloped in a celestial light, and heard the resounding voices of angels who, accompanied by celestial music, were intoning in sweet and enchanting harmony the Salve Sancta Parnes. The holy statue had been finished by the angels. From her face issued rays of intense light that diffused through the whole choir and church. Little by little it became less brilliant so that the sisters could draw near and contemplate more closely the miracle work by God for his convent and mankind with the angelic completion of the holy and venerable statue. Haloed by this brilliant light, the physiognomy of the statue was not severe, but majestic, serene, sweet, amiable, and attracting, as if she were inviting her daughters to approach her heavenly mother with confidence, to give her a filial embrace of thanksgiving and welcome. The divine child was a masterpiece. His countenance expressed love and tenderness for the spouses so beloved of his heart and so dear to his mother. Overflowing with love of God and his blessed mother, they recited the little office with redoubled fervor on that happy morning. At the prearranged hour, Senor Francisco del Castillo, after receiving communion, arrived at the convent to give the last coat to his great work. He brought with him the best and finest paint that he could find for that purpose. Mother Mariana and the founding mothers decided that they would have the sculptor enter the choir to verify what had taken place.
Without telling him anything, they brought him into the cloister. Arriving at the choir, he looked at the statue in astonishment and exclaimed with great emotion, Mothers, what has happened? This magnificent statue is not my work. I cannot express what my heart feels. This is an angelic work, for a work such as this could not be made on this earth by hands of mere clay. No sculptor, no matter how skilled he might be, could ever imitate such perfection and unique beauty. He fell to the feet of the holy statue, his heart overflowing with sentiments of faith and piety, while a flood of tears poured from his eyes. Then, rising, he asked for paper and ink so that he might draw up a written testimony, swearing that this blessed statue was not his work, but that of the angels. In it, he testified that he had found the statue different from the way he had left it, in the upper choir of that convent six days earlier. The bishop, informed of this miracle, went immediately to the convent to personally see the marvel of the completion of the statue and, after realizing this miraculous event, invited Mother Mariana to the confessional to know from her what had really happened. Your Excellency, responded Mother Mariana, during the community prayer on the afternoon of the 15th. God our Lord forewarned me that during the early morning hours of the 16th, I would witness his mercy toward our convent and mankind in general. He asked that I prepare myself to receive these graces with nocturnal penance and prayer. I did as I was ordered. At midnight, ending my prayer of the way of the cross, I entered the choir. As I made my customary prayer, I saw the choir and church become illuminated with celestial light. My spirit was lost in the immensity of God and divine love expanded my small heart. Then the tabernacle opened and I saw that in the holy host were the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I saw the sublime mystery of the incarnation of the divine word in the most pure womb of the Blessed Virgin take place. Then I understood the infinite love of the three divine persons, for Mary most holy, Our Lady, who was present there, so magnificent, beautiful, and captivating. The nine choirs of angels sang praises to her and rendered her homage as their queen and lady. The Blessed Trinity manifested their full satisfaction for this beautiful and holy creature, free from the stain of original sin. At a gesture from the Most Holy Trinity, the archangels Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael came before the throne of the Divine Majesty, prepared and ready to carry out some sublime mission. I did not understand what order they had received, but I saw that after bowing in profound reverence, they approached the throne of the Queen of Heaven. St. Michael, saluting her dutifully, said, Mary most holy, daughter of God the Father. St. Gabriel said, Mary most holy, mother of God the Son. St. Raphael said, Mary most holy, pure spouse of the Holy Ghost. Then joined by the celestial hosts, they intoned together, Mary most holy, temple and sacrarium of the most holy trinity. In an instant, swifter than a flash of lightning, this august trio was in the choir when the statue was being made 
so that they, that they might finish and illuminate it with heavenly splendor. My seraphic father also appeared. From his wounded hands issued celestial rays, which without bl blinding my eyes, penetrated my heart and transported it to the heavenly spheres. Accompanied by the three archangels, St. Michael, St. Gabriel, and St. Raphael, and followed by the celestial hosts, he approached the almost completed statue of Senor Francisco del Castillo, and in an instant, they had transformed it. I was unable to see how this instantaneous transformation took place, but they left it most beautiful, just as your excellency saw it. Then my seraphic father took the white cord that he wore around his waist and wrapping it around the waist of the holy statue, he said with love and reverence, my lady, I entrust to you, to your maternal love, my sons and daughters of the three orders I founded that continue on their earthly pilgrimage. I deliver to you today and for all times this convent established under my custody. Difficult times of barrenness and spiritual hunger will come over it, with my sons withdrawing themselves from it for a long period of time. In their absence, I beg you to be the seraphic life for my daughters who will live in these cloisters during that unfortunate time. There will be illegitimate daughters, it is true, but they will be happy only in appearance, for in their depth they will lack virtue. They will become sharp tools to chisel and polish my true daughters. For the latter, I give my blessing and ask your support, but for the others, final justice. My seraphic father then placed the cord on the sacred statue and departed. Meanwhile, the statue was completely illuminated, as if it were engulfed by the sun itself. The Holy Trinity looked at it with pleasure, and the angels sang the Salve Sancta Pons. Amid this great happiness, the Queen of Angels approached the statue and entered into it, just as the rays of sun penetrate beautiful crystal. At that moment, the holy statue took on life and sang the Magnificat with a celestial voice. This took place at 3 a.m. in the morning. In preparation for the anointment of the statue, the bishop ordered the sisters to make a novena and blessed the miraculous statue with the name of Mary of Good Success of the Purification or Candlemas. On February 2nd, 1611, in the church of the convent, Father Juan of the Mother of God celebrated the Mass in the presence of the bishop, all the Conceptionist sisters, the chapter of the cathedral, and a, vast and a vast public of every social class that was overflowing the church. At the conclusion of the Mass, the statue was carried down from the high altar and placed on the main altar, along with the crown, the crozier, the brooch, a precious dress and two strips of a long belt made of silk, along with a golden mantle of silk interwoven with threads of silver. In addition to these treasures, there were also a beautiful necklace of fine pearls and three rings of gold, one with precious emerald, another with a diamond, and a third finely set with rubies in the form of a small royal crown. These fine pieces were placed on a small gold shell made for this purpose, and engraved in letters adorned with precious emeralds, I am Mary, most holy of good success.
February 2nd, 1611. The solemn anointment then began. After the sermons that followed, the bishop began the solemn procession through the cloisters, preceded by a tall cross. The participants held lighted candles in their hands. The procession ended at the choir, festively decorated, and the statue was placed in its niche by the friars. Intoned a solemn Salve Regina, followed by the litany and by Salve Sancta Parents. With tears, the bishop reverently and tenderly placed the crown on the head of the holy statue, saying, Senora, I deliver to thee the church. Then he placed the crozier in her right hand, saying, Senora, I deliver to thee the government of this convent and of my flock in general. Finally, he placed the keys in the same hand, holding the crozier, saying, Senora, and my mother, I deliver to thee my soul. Open the doors of heaven to me, for the time remaining to me in this life is quite brief. Watch over this tabernacle and these cloisters of your daughters with care and affection. Defend them always, and conserve in them the religious spirit that should characterize the spouses of thy most holy son. Vision of the Fury of the Devil on the Feast of Corpus Christi, Thursday, 1623, Mother Mariana was praying at the foot of the tabernacle when suddenly she fell into ecstasy. She saw, in a vision, that this country would be favored with graces and mercy as a result of the public and solemn devotion that will be rendered to the Blessed Sacrament in future centuries. She saw devout processions that would be made through the main streets of the city that would include religious men, women, children, youth, and persons from all the social classes. She saw the profound recollection of all and the great respect and devotion of, the, of that diverse groups, with many of their members using instruments of penance on their bodies. She saw the faith and piety of the faithful and the compliance of our Lord Jesus Christ as he passed through the streets of the city in those fortunate times to come. But alas, she also saw how all this aroused the fury of the devil, who would strive to raise the solid edifice of Catholic piety founded upon the faith of the children of God. To achieve this evil intent, he would avail himself to the sons of this country who would lose the sentiment of faith bequeathed to them by their parents and elders. These countrymen would work to oppress the church and their assemblies and prevent this public devotion, for they would have already entered the party of, the, of Satan by becoming members of the Masonic lodges. She saw that this generation of men without faith would be formed by unworthy children of the Catholic Church who would impiously oppress her and put an end to the reverent processions that attract the blessing of God. This would be a time of sorrow and grief for all the faithful children of the church who, with their prelates and pastors, would be few in number. Our Lord showed her how the hideous and pestiferous wild boar of masonry would enter the beautiful, flourishing vineyard of the church, leaving it destroyed and in complete ruins. Mother Mariana returned to herself in the arms of her sisters who were weeping, believing her to be dead, 
for it was now five o'clock in the afternoon, and she had shown no sign of life since nine o'clock that morning. With a death-like pallor, Mother Mariana made an attempt to speak, stand up, and walk, but despite her greatest efforts, she could not succeed. In this weakened state, she again lost her senses. This time, she saw the infidelity of the ministers of the altar to their holy vocation and the unworthy way that some would approach the holy sacrifice. She considered the cause of this, and her soul was overcome with a profound and unearthly sorrow. Sixth Apparition of Our Lady At three o'clock in the morning of February 2nd, 1634, with her eyes fixed on the tabernacle, Mother Mariana was praying our Lord, telling him all the love she had for him. After these prayers, she saw the sanctuary light which burned before the sacramental Jesus go out, leaving the main sanctuary in complete darkness. Then, suddenly, she saw a celestial light illuminate the whole church. The Queen of Heaven appeared, lit the tabernacle lamp, and approached her, presenting herself as Mary of good success, and explaining to her the meaning of the extinguishing of the sanctuary lamp with these words. The sanctuary light burning before the altar that you saw be extinguished has many meanings. The first reason for the lamp being extinguished is that at the end of the 19th century and advancing into a large part of the 20th, various heresies will be propagated in this land, then a free republic. As they come to dominate, the precious light of faith will be extinguished in souls by the almost total corruption of customs. During this period, there will be great physical and moral catastrophes, both public and private. The small number of souls who, hidden, will conserve the treasure of the faith and virtues will suffer an unspeakably cruel and prolonged martyrdom. Many of them will succumb to death from the violence of their suffering, and those who sacrifice themselves for their church and country will be counted as martyrs. In order to free men from bondage to these heresies, those whom the merciful love of my Most Holy Son will destine for that restoration will need great strength of will, constancy, valor, and confidence in God. To test this faith and confidence of the just, there will be occasions in which everything will seem to be lost and paralyzed. This will be, then, the happy beginning of the complete restoration. The second reason for the lamp being extinguished is that my community, being greatly reduced in number, will be submerged in a fathomless ocean of indescribable bitterness and will seem to be drowning in these diverse waters of tribulations. How many authentic vocations will perish because of the lack of discretion, discernment, and prudence on the part of the novice mistresses informing them? They should be souls of prayer and well-learned in the varied spiritual ways. Woe to those souls who will return to the Babylon of the world after having been in the secure port of this blessed convent. During this unfortunate epoch, injustice will, en will even enter here, my closed garden, 
disguised under the name of false charity, it will wreak havoc in souls. The spiteful demon will try to sow discord, making use of putrid members who, masked by the appearance of virtue, will be like decaying sepulchres emanating the pestilence of putrefaction, causing moral deaths in some and lukewarmness in others. They will thrust a two-edged sword into my faithful daughters, making them suffer a continuous and slow martyrdom. These faithful daughters will weep in sacred and complain to the Lord and God, and their tears will be presented by their guardian angels to the Heavenly Father, asking that they shorten such dire times for love of the divine prisoner. The third reason for the lamp being extinguished is because of the spirit of impurity that will saturate the atmosphere in those times. Like a filthy ocean, it will inundate the streets, squares, and public places with an astonishing liberty. There will be almost no virgin souls in the world. The delicate flower of virginity, timid and threatened by complete destruction, will shine in the distance. Taking refuge in cloisters, it will find good soil there that will take root, grow and live, its fragrance being the delight of my most holy son and the shield against divine ire. Without virginity, it would be necessary for fire from heaven to fall upon these lands to purify them. In his malicious pride, the invidious and pestiferous devil will try to intrude into even these closed gardens of the religious cloisters to make this beautiful and delicate flower wither. But I will confront him and crush his head under my feet. Alas, how sorrowful. There will be careless souls who will voluntarily deliver themselves into his claws. Others, returning to the world, will become instruments of the devil for the loss of souls. The fourth reason for the lamp being extinguished is that the Masonic sect, having infiltrated all the social classes, will be so subtle as to introduce itself into domestic ambiances in order to corrupt the children, and the devil will glory in dining upon the exquisite delicacy of the hearts of children. During these unfortunate times, evil will assault childhood innocence. In this way, vocations to the priesthood will be lost, which will be a true calamity. It will fall to the religious groups to sustain the church and to labor with valorous, disinterested zeal for the salvation of souls. For during this period, the observance of the rule will shine in communities and there will be holy ministers of the altar, hidden and beautiful souls, in whom my most holy son and I will take our delight, finding them to be excellent flowers and fruits of heroic sanctity. The impious ones will rage a cruel war against them, letting fall on them vituperations, calumnies, and vexations in order to impede the fulfillment of their ministry. But they, like firm columns, will remain unswerving and will confront everything with that spirit of humility and sacrifice with which they will be vested by virtue of the infinite merits of, the, of my most holy son who loves them as the innermost fibers of his most holy and tender heart. In this epoch, 
the secular clergy will be far removed from its ideal because the priests will be careless in their sacred duties. Lacking the divine compass, they will stray from the road traced by God for the priestly ministry, and they will become attached to wealth and riches, which they will unduly strive to obtain. How the church will suffer on that occasion, the dark night, the lack of a prelate and father to watch over them with paternal love, gentleness, strength, and prudence. Many priests will lose their spirit, placing their souls in great danger. Pray incessantly without tiring and weep with bitter tears in the secrecy of your heart, imploring our celestial Father that, for love of the Eucharistic heart of my most holy Son and his precious blood shed with such generosity and by the profound bitterness and sufferings of his cruel passion and death, he might take pity on his ministers and quickly bring to an end those ominous times spending to this church, sending to this church, the prelate that will restore the spirit of its priests. My most holy son and I will love this most favored son with a love of predilection, and we shall gift him with a rare capacity, a humility of heart, a docility of divine inspiration, the strength to defend the rights of the church, and a tender and compassionate heart so that, like another Christ, he will assist the great, the small, without despising the more unfortunate souls who ask him for light and counsel in their doubts and hardships. With divine suavity, he will guide souls consecrated to the service of God in the cloisters, making light the yoke of the Lord, who said, My yoke is sweet and my burden light. Into his hand the scales of the sanctuary will be placed, so everything is weighed with due measure, and God will be glorified. The lukewarmness of all the souls consecrated to God in the priestly and religious state will delay the coming of this prelate and father. This, then, will be the cause of the cursed devil taking possession of this land, where he will achieve his victories by means of foreign and faithless people, so numerous that, like a black cloud, it will obscure the limpid heavens of the then republic consecrated to the most sacred heart of my divine son. With these people, every type of vice will enter, which will attract in their turn every type of chastisement, such as plagues, famines, internal fighting, and external disputes with other nations, and apostasy, the cause of the perdition of so many souls so dear to Jesus Christ and to me. In order to dissipate this black, crowd, this black cloud that prevents the church from enjoying the clear day of liberty, there will be a formidable and frightful war, which will see the bloodshed of countrymen and foreigners, of secular and regular priests, as well as that of religious. This night will be most horrible, for humanly speaking, evil will seem to triumph. This, then, will mark the arrival of my hour. And I, in a marvelous way, will dethrone the proud and cursed Satan, trampling him under my feet and fettering him in the infernal abyss. Thus the church and country will be finally free of this cruel tyranny. The fifth reason for the lamp being extinguished is due to the laxity and the negligence of those who possess great wealth, who will indifferently stand by and witness the church being oppressed virtue being persecuted, and the triumph of evil. Without piously employing their riches for the destruction of this evil, 
and the restoration of the faith. It is also due to the indifference of the people in allowing the name of God to be gradually snuffed out and adhering to the spirit of evil, freely delivering themselves to the vices and passions. Alas, my chosen daughter, if it were given to you to live in this tenebrous error, you would die of sorrow to see all that I have revealed to you here take place. Most Holy Son and I have a great love for this land, our legacy, that we desire that even now the application of your sacrifices and prayers to shorten the time of such a terrible catastrophe. After this admirable vision, all that had been narrated by Our Lady passed before the eyes of Mother Mariana as if on a silent presentation. She was given to know the countless number of souls who would be condemned for the above-mentioned reasons. Seeing this, Mother Mariana fainted and remained to all appearances dead there in the choir for a couple of days. But Mother Mariana miraculously woke up and lived her last year of life. Apparition of Jesus Christ On November 2, 1634, after receiving Holy Communion, Mother Mariana had a vision of Jesus Christ. He was, however, one wound, especially a sacred heart, which was covered with small but piercing thorns which tormented him with extraordinary cruelty. He shed a deluge of tears accompanied by tender lamentations and sighs. Mother Mariana embraced him in her heart with all the tenderness and adoration for her Lord and God that burned in her soul. In an outburst of sorrowful love, she cried out, Esteemed and adored love of my soul, if it is possible, tell me what causes thee to suffer such a cruel martyrdom. Jesus Christ gazed at her with loving tenderness. Releasing a profound sigh, he said, You see how these small thorns sting me cruelly. Understand that they are the grave as well as slight faults of my priests, secular and religious, who I take from the world and bring them to the cloisters. I lavish on them a deluge of spiritual graces, giving them also serious, prolonged sicknesses, so that they might become like unto me. But ungrateful and heartless, they complain about my loving providence. They think I am being cruel to them, and withdrawing with indifference, they leave me alone. The spirit of such souls will wilt like a parched flower, drying up and becoming unable to emit its fragrance in the garden of my Immaculate Mother, to which such souls were called. With this ungrateful behavior, they will thrust these tiny thorns into my heart, cruelly wounding it, which is all love and affection for my chosen souls. At the same time, they will frustrate the great designs that I have for them, for which reason I test them in this manner. For the cross and tribulation are the patrimony of the just here on earth. Instill in your present day, daughters, the love of the cross and sacrifice, so that they can transmit it, so that they can transmit this from generation to generation, in this convent as well as in the order in general. Imbue them also with a love for their religious vocation and regular observance, as well as fraternal charity and love for poor sinners, and faithful correspondence to, this, to the inspirations of grace.
The times will come when doctrine will be spread among the learned and the ignorant, accessible to priests and religious, and even the common people. Many books will be written, but the practice of the virtues and these doctrines will be found only in a few souls. For this reasons, for this reason, saints will become rare. Precisely for this reason, my priests and religious will fall into a fatal indifference. Their frigidity will extinguish the fire of divine love, afflicting my loving heart with these small thorns that you see. For this reason, I desire that here there should be souls here in whom I can rest from my fatigues and in whom I might take complacence. Their afflicted sacrificial lives will be the caressing, compassionate hands that have removed these tiny thorns from my heart and apply the needed balsam. Alas, if it were given to you to understand my intense interior suffering, which accompanied me from the incarnation in the most pure womb of my virgin mother, until the moment when my soul left its lacerated body, nailed on the cross. And this suffering is caused by the lack of correspondence to the deluge of graces with which I inundate my priests and religious, and consequently, by the sins that they commit. No, moreover, that divine justice releases terrible chastisements on entire nations, not only for the sins of the people, but for those of priests and religious persons. For the latter are called by the perfection of their state to be the salt of the earth, the masters of truth, and the shields to hold back divine ire. Straying from their sublime mission, they degrade themselves in such a way that before the eyes of God, they increase the rigor of the punishments. When they detach themselves from me, they end up living a superficial life of soul, maintaining a distance from me unworthy of my ministers by their frigidity and lack of confidence. They act as if I were a stranger to them. Alas, if they knew, if they were convinced of how much I love them and desire that they enter into the very depths of their souls, there, without a doubt, they would find me and would necessarily live the life of love, light, and continuous union to which they were not only called, but chosen. Now, my spouse, in the few months of exile that remain to you, labor untiringly for the perfection of my priests and religious persons. In union with my infinite merits and those of my Immaculate Mother and yours, offer all that you do, even to your least breath for this. I am greatly pleased by religious souls who take upon themselves the sublime task of sanctifying the clergy through their prayers, sacrifices, and penances. In all times, I will choose such souls so that uniting themselves to me, they will labor, pray, and suffer to attain of this most noble end, and a special glory will await them in heaven. After this moving vision, Mother Mariana seemed transformed into a new creature. She seemed an angel in human flesh, and a seraphim filled with God. Her words were flaming arrows of divine love, that sweetly wounded the hearts of the fortunate daughters who lived with her. Seventh Apparition of Our Lady The night of December 1634, 
1130, Mother Mariana directed her steps to the upper choir for her customary prayer. There, shedding a torrent of tears, she presented each one of her daughters to, to the divine prisoner and her most holy mother. She implored good success for her own and their passages to eternity. During this colloquy, she felt the vehemence of divine love and lost her bodily senses. Then she saw before her the Queen of Heaven, beautiful and captivating as always, with her most holy son in her left arm and the crozier in her right hand. She was accompanied by the three archangels. St. Michael carried a countless number of white tunics sprinkled with stars, adorned with burnished gold. Each tunic was trimmed with an exquisite collar of fine pearls from which hung the most beautiful gold cross with every type of precious stone. In the middle of the cross was a shining star engraved with the sweet names of Jesus and Mary. St. Gabriel carried a chalice bearing the blood of the Redeemer, a ciborium filled with hosts and a large quantity of fragrant white lilies. St. Raphael bore a large, precious ampulla, transparent and finely chiseled, with contain, which contained a superb balsam whose suave odor floated out from the receptacle and diffused in the air, purifying the atmosphere and causing the soul to feel supreme joy and admirable tranquility. He also carried many violet-colored stoles that shone with a splendorous brilliance and a writing quill of a shining and refulgent gold, marked with the name of Mary. The three holy archangels stood before their sovereign queen, whose left arm sustained the King of Heaven and the Prince of Eternity. The nine angelic choirs, upon a signal from Prince St. Michael, began to sing with celestial harmony, with one choir succeeding another, until they reached the ninth. After the celestial symphony had ended, the queen spoke these words. My most beloved daughter and chosen spouse of the spotless lamb, leave this earth, the sad land of exile of the just, and come forthwith to your long-desired fatherland. The hard winter of your mortal existence has passed, and your eternal springtime begins, where the good works practiced during earthly life are flowers of rare beauty, exquisite perfumes of great value, because they are the price of the dolorous redemption. If mortals only understood how to appreciate the time given to them, and would take advantage of each moment of life, how different the world would be, and a considerable number of souls would not fall to their eternal perdition. This disdain is the fundamental cause for their downfall. My daughter, have pity on your imprudent brethren, sinners, and weep for them, imploring your God and Redeemer to send to their souls many special, efficacious graces, powerful enough to withdraw them from the dark abyss where they lie. Do you see what the three archangels, St. Michael, St. Gabriel, and St. Raphael, carry with joy? Know that the white tunics carried by St. Michael are destined first for my faithful and fervent daughters throughout time who will live in this cloister, to some for having persevered 
for, for some having preserved their baptismal innocence, and to others for having purified themselves by austere penances. Second, the white tunics are also for secular and regular priests and lady of both sexes, who, loving my most holy son and myself with simple upright hearts, also love this convent of our predilection. Ignoring, ignoring criticism and scorn, they strive for its conservation and dedicate themselves to propagating my devotion under the consoling invocation of good success, which will be the sustenance and safeguard of the faith in the almost total corruption of the 20th century. St. Gabriel carries this precious chalice bearing the blood of the Redeemer. This signifies the grace of the resurrection from death from sin, and the restoration of souls by means of the sacrament of penance, which the ministers of my most holy Son make available abundantly to restore life to souls killed by the satanic jealousy of the infernal dragon. See and contemplate the grandeur of this restoring and life-giving sacrament, so forgotten and even scorned by ungrateful mortals, who, in their mad illusions, do not realize that it is the only sure means of salvation after losing one's baptismal innocence. As you see, St. Gabriel also carries a suborum filled with hosts. This signifies the most august sacrament of the Eucharist, which will be distributed by my Catholic priests to faithful belonging to the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, whose visible head is the Pope, the King of Christendom, his pontifical infallibility will be declared a dogma of faith by the same Pope chosen to proclaim the dogma of the mystery of the Immaculate Conception. He will be persecuted and imprisoned in the Vatican by the unjust usurpation of the pontifical states through the iniquity, envy, and avarice of an earthly monarch. See the field ciborium so that you might comprehend the sublimity of this mystery and the reverence with which it should be treated and received by the faithful. It will be an antidote against sin and an easy and powerful means for souls to unite themselves to their God and Redeemer, who, in the excess of his love, hides himself under the white accidents of the host, exposed to the sacrilegious profanations of his ungrateful sons. To make amends for these sacrileges is the work of contemplative souls and, in a special way, the daughters of my Immaculate Conception. Know that in the, in the Divine Arcana, this hidden and voluntary expiation was one of the designs of God, disposing the foundation of his orders so dear to him. These countless white lilies, beautiful and exceedingly fragrant, that you see together with the chalice and saborum born by my Archangel Gabriel, are all the good religious of my order, and they will be very numerous and cloisters throughout the world. Each one of them will have a distinct mission, and will receive torrents of graces unceasingly from heaven to this end. I recommend my daughters to suffer, so that the seven sacraments are received with perfection by the faithful, and above all, the third, Holy Eucharist, the fourth, Confession, and the sixth sacrament, holy orders. The large, transparent, and precious ampulla carried by my archangel Raphael contains an extraordinary balsam 
of the sweetest fragrance, which is diffused throughout the air and purifies the atmosphere, communicating to the soul a supreme happiness and admirable tranquility. It represents the cloisters and the convents. They are chosen places that see the daily practice of the solid virtue as well as the observance of the rule and austere penances of, it, of its inhabitants. The purity and chastity that exists there are the exquisite aroma that perfumes the fortunate countries that possess monasteries and convents. They purify the air polluted by those in the world delivered over to the most shameful vices and passions. At the same time, they transmit to souls that ineffable joy and admirable peace that causes sinners to fall into themselves and turn toward God. This takes place by virtue of the prayers raised up in these houses to heaven incessantly day and night. Like Moses with his arms raised to heaven, religious souls supplicate and make penances for sinners to be converted and their nations saved from the torrent of vices and passions that call down the terrible chastisements of divine justice. Woe to the world should it lack monasteries and convents. Mortals do not comprehend their importance for if they understood, they would use their wealth to multiply them, because they provide the remedy for all the physical and moral evils. The Most Holy Trinity and I, the mother and model of religious persons, love these houses with great tenderness. I am the channel for that, that river of precious graces that are not given to those in the world. For in each monastery and convent, I am truly and tenderly loved. Their members have recourse to me without that confidence and love that sons and daughters have for their tender and loving mother. Under different invocations, they venerate me in all these places. The archangels gather up their prayers, tears, penances, sighs, and lives of sacrifices and present them to me. I then present them before the throne of the God for the salvation of the world. No one... No one on the face of the earth realizes whence comes the salvation of souls, the conversion of great sinners, the deferral of great scourges, the production and fertility of the lands, the end of pestilences and wars, and the harmony between nations. All this is due to the prayers that rise up from monasteries and convents. The innumerable violet-colored stoles carried by my archangel Raphael which shine resplendently with illuminate and illuminate the sanctuary, symbolize the effective action and zeal of good priests who, with self-abnegation, forget themselves to make Jesus Christ and myself known and loved. Faithful to their mission, confided to them by the father of the family, they labor untiringly in the vineyard of the Lord to make it grow and prosper and to save the souls ransomed by the blood of the Redeemer. They are the good and faithful servants who will enter into the joy of the Lord. The quill of polished and shining gold marked with my name is for all the priests of both clergy, regular and secular, who write of my glories and sorrows. It is also for those who by means of their writing diffuse my devotion and good success of this convent, as well as your life which is inseparable from this tender and consoling invocation. In the 20th century, this devotion will work prodigies in the spiritual as well as temporal spheres. 
because it is the will of God to reserve this invocation and knowledge of your life for that century, when the corruption of customs will be almost general and the precious light of faith almost extinguished. Now, my beloved daughter, you realize the significance of all the things that you see in the hands of my holy archangels. Michael, who was like unto God, Gabriel, the fortitude of God, Raphael, the remedy of God. Each archangel fulfills a mission in assisting decadent humanity. Even if the rest of mankind neglects invoking and venerating these holy princes, I desire that you and your present-day daughters, as well as those to come, should do this to receive graces and favors, material and moral, for yourselves and for this convent. I also verify that they will always take care of my statue and of this beloved convent so favored by the goodness of God. Death of Mother Mariana In the first five days of 1635, Mother Mariana remained very weak, becoming worse every day. The seventh day she began to suffer prolonged swoons daily. She did not remain in bed, however, but forced herself to always be with her beloved sisters. On January 11th, after communion, she lost consciousness again, and after trying to stand, she fell to the ground. She then asked to be carried to the infirmary because those were her last days. She knew she would expire on January 16th, and this day finally dawned. Mother Mariana assisted and consoled each sister in private, confessed herself, assisted to the Mass, celebrated in the room with the presence of the bishop, made her profession of faith, received the extreme unction, then the bell rang to gather the sisters for their last meeting with her. Then she read her testament, asking, ordering, and commanding that it be followed by her successors and transmitted from generation to generation. She desired its text to always be at hand. After she finished speaking, the friar assisting her placed his crucifix in her hands. She held it tightly against her heart. At the conclusion of the prayers, two large tears rolled down the rosy cheeks of Mother Mariana, and with a profound sigh, she expired. The large bell, toning the hours, rang that moment. It was 1,500 hours, January 16, 1635. In 1885, the body of Mother Mariana was exhumed, 271 years after her death. Her body was found whole and incorrupt. She was wearing a white habit with a black veil. Her face retained its natural color with a rosy hue in the cheeks and lips. Through her slightly parted lips, the tongue could be seen. The eyes were closed but preserved, as well as the eyelashes. The ears were flexible. The hair was red. The whole body exhaled a perfume of lilies. The bodies of the other founding mothers were also discovered incorrupt and preserved today in the newly restored sepulchre of the convent of the Immaculate Conception of Quito. The Testament of Mother Mariana In her testament, Mother Mariana addresses Jesus Christ, saying, My love, open to me the doors of your kingdom. 
just as on that memorable day, you opened to me the blessed doors of the cloister of my Immaculate Mother, where I sanctified myself by carrying out the holy will under your gaze alone. Behold me, weary of the harsh exile of mortal life, where I suffered in silence and for love of you all the hardships that you sent me. The road was long. But I have finally reached its end. Open your arms and permit me to rest from my labors and lay my weary head in the ardent fires of your divine heart. Now I come eagerly to take possession of the blessed eternity that you promised me. When I will live under the mantle of my Immaculate Mother and in company of my father, Francis of Assisi. But the major worry of Mother Mariana was the conversion of sinners. She points out the means to convert sinners, the imitation of Christ in his meekness and heart, humility, and being united to him and nailed with him to the same cross, to have him always ready to hear the petitions and requests for the souls needing the divine help. It is important to note that the message of Our Lady of Good Success has been deemed by Mother Mariana so important for this poor world that her last thoughts were to promote the devotion and the messages received by Our Lady. In her testament, in fact, she wrote, When the Divine Master was hanging from the ignominious gibbet of the cross, in which he expired amid his most infinite sufferings and torments, the testament that he gave to redeemed humanity was to leave us his mother as our mother. Addressing his virgin mother, he said, Woman, Behold your son, the beloved disciple. Then he said to John, Behold your mother. Behold your heavenly mother, our lady of good success. She will always give you good successes. Have a great love for the Blessed Virgin. Imitate her virtues, above all, her profound humility and her ardent love for God and poor sinners. Love each other with a childish simplicity, an innocence that permits no falseness of hypocrisy in your souls. Conserve and propagate the devotion to Our Lady under the tender invocation of good success, so that she might obtain whatever you ask of Jesus and Mary. You should also take supreme care of your great treasure and strive to make her known and loved by the greatest number of souls possible, assuring them that with this devotion, they will always attain good success in time and in eternity. Have recourse to her in all your spiritual and temporal needs. When your soul suffered, suffers temptations and hardships, and if the star of the divine vocation by divine permission is hidden from your soul's sight, run to her with confidence and say, Star of the stormy sea of my mortal life, may your light shine upon me so that I do not stray from the path that leads me to heaven.